0: Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who is halfway to his goal of being slow and steady. <laughs> it's Dale.
1: Am I slow or steady? I, I think I I'm steadily slow.
0: How about slow that? and
1: steady. Steadily slow?
0: <laughs> well, they say slow and steady wins a race. Yeah. Unless unless quick and fast is running, too, and then, <laughs> then slow and steady ain't gonna win.
1: You gotta just go down to down and dirty and take them right. out.
0: Yeah, throw a little dirt around
1: you gotta be the heel, as they would say in the wrestling business yeah be the heel take well, them out
0: speaking of wrestling
1: speaking of wrestling man today we're gonna have a hell of a show i think yeah we've yeah. got
0: some stuff lined up guys this is gonna be i can tell it's gonna be a long episode
1: yeah i think so uh as y'all know we this past uh, weekend i was down at the uh, wrestling convention and uh met a lot of folks and seen a lot of old friends and uh Met a lot of people, but uh, I was running, and talking to a, a lady I knew, and we uh, was just talking about the podcast. And then she brought brought up Sam Houston, and she said, "You know, she's married to him now," and brought him over and said, "I think you need to go on his show and uh, talk about his sister." I'm like, "Okay." So he started telling me the telling me the the ins and outs, what's going on. And I'm like, "Man, this sounds like we need to do it." So uh, that's how this call came up because uh, I started watching Sam back in the Mid-Atlantic championship wrestling, and he was there for like from '85 to '86. So. I used to watch him back then. He's wrestled all over the world. He's been in, uh, in the WWF back in 87 to 91 and then just many, many, many other federations and held several titles. So, you know, it's a pretty big deal uh, as far as in, in the wrestling business. But what we were talking about is that his sister was kidnapped. And this would have been back in the 70s.
0: 1979.
1: Right. And so I let him know the whole story on this. When we tried to find out some information and his back stuff, he still couldn't find out a lot about it. So talking with Sam, and then Sam um, brought up that he had a, a PI had been contacted him, and uh, his name was Jim Terry with Gulf Coast Investigations. So Donnie today reached out to Jim to talk to him a little bit, and he decided to come on the show too. So today we're gonna have a a show with Donnie and I, and then with uh, Sam Houston and also Jim Terry, all joining together to basically. Pick Sam's brain and Jim's brain. He's who's been investigate this for years, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're just going to just bring it raw and just, you know, because like I said, we couldn't find out a lot about it, so we're just going to have to go with what they're saying as far as what Sam remembers and what Jim's found out.
0: So pretty much what we're doing is talking about Sam Houston's sister that went missing. I think it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend of nineteen seventy nine.
1: Yeah, Jo Lynn Smith Rogers.
0: Yeah, that was her name. Yes. And we're that's what we're going to discuss today, and we're there'll be some wrestling talk too, cause this is a wrestling family.
1: Yeah, and you know us, and, and you know, and I think you know, talking to the guys, a lot of them, the story kind of inter- intertwines between true crime and wrestling. And usually, you either get a true crime folks, or you get wrestling folks, and with us, we're going to get both. So this this story really is right down our alley, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Now Donnie's a little less wrestling geek than I am, but you know,
0: That's very fascinating, and the family. That we're talking about is very fascinating, and the, the crime part of it is fascinating, so I hope everybody else... and,
1: and, and a, You know, and I'm sorry, Doc, I didn't mean to step on you, but I was also want to say a lot of people don't know that Sam Houston, Jake the Snake, Roberts, uh, Rockin' Robin, they're all siblings. Yeah. So, you know, this is a, a pretty big deal, along with their dad, Grizzly Smith, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. So, anyway, this is where we're going to roll.
0: On today's show, Dale, we have Sam Houston, pro wrestler Sam Houston. Yes. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. And, <laughs> and we also have private investigator Jim Terry. Can you believe that? I cannot believe that. <laughs> this is like a full house we've got going on here today. It's going to be good. Sam, can you tell us a little yes, bit sir? about? Tell us a little
2: bit about you, dude. Okay, well, let's see. I'm uh, 58 years old. I stand six foot four, just about, just a shed, shed underneath the hood. I'm 210 pounds of uh, twisted steel and sex appeal, the women's pet. No, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's the wrestling part. All my life. I've been in the wrestling business. I was born into a wrestling family. Uh, my father was a headliner all over the country. And, uh, you know, I lived 21 places before I t- went, started first grade, 21 wow. different regions of the country before I started first grade. Cause you're in a territory for three or four months and then you pack up and go to the next territory. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I did, uh, you know, I grew up kind of like seven, I've never grown up, but, uh, I grew up and, uh, my, my, my passion was the wrestling business, so I got into it too. Uh, and I've been wrestling for 38 years now, still doing pretty good. I've, uh, just won the, uh, United States heavyweight championship last, last year and, uh, doing pretty good with it. Um, But, you know, we've had a hard life. I've had a rough life. I've been all over the place. I've been all kinds of stuff. I've been in just about every kind of natural disaster that you (laughs) can be. I was in the Northridge earthquake. I've been in uh, hurricanes galore from South Louisiana. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita. All those bad ones, Hurricane Hugo here in the Carolinas. I was in that. Tornado hit my house in 78 on December the 10th. Floods took everything I own in two, 2016. And then in 2020, I'm sitting here and a tornado. I'm stranded in North Carolina and a tornado hits my house in uh, my place in Texas. We can't help other people unless we've been through something ourselves. That's right. I try to help people. Uh, I've been dead a, a countless number of times, I've been pronounced dead. I've drank myself to death. Uh, I was in car accidents, just all kinds of stuff, yeah. but, uh, you know, I've got 13 years sober now. Congratulations. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, Yeah, uh,
2: you know, and I've changed my life around prison for me. I, I did some time in prison, prison for me saved my life because if I'd have been on the street and then I lost my mom the week after I got put in and five and a half months later, I lost my father. Well, mm. prison is no place to grieve like that. You know? Wow. And, uh, but I'm gonna through it all uh, you know uh, in uh, November the 20th on uh, there was a devastating day in 1979 we got a phone call that my sister who uh, lived in Tatum Texas Jolene Rogers had been taken
0: and that's why we're here today to talk about Jolene Rogers right Yes sir Jim Jim Terry private investigator, give us a little bit about you Tell us a little bit about your background and who you are dude.
3: Well, I was in uh, I was in the uh, tower number two in 9/11 and jumped out right before the airplane hit it and survived. After that, I was in the tsunamis over in uh, the Philippines. Then I did some time in Attica. And come on, guys, you want me to follow Sam Houston <laughs> with a story? I got to make shit up here. What are you guys <laughs> out of your mind? Couldn't I have gone first? Yeah. <laughs> I was there going I wow. <laughs> I was never in a Wrestlemania. I mean, come on. Real, real quick, I grew up in uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. I'm a licensed private investigator based out of the state of Mississippi. I've been a licensed PI since around 2017. And I've had a 22-year career in what is a little bit like professional wrestling, a sport called arena football. I'm currently the oldest active arena football player in the country with 22 seasons as a place kicker. So that's how I have a lot of respect for what Sam Houston and, and that – Um, group of athletes do I mean I've been to all the cities all the arenas Charlotte Mobile Casper Johnstown Topeka Kansas Miami Florida I've been there I've seen the arenas even played arena football in the Robarts arena but growing up in Tampa Clearwater Beach Florida Tampa Bay area I was very lucky uh, Saturday mornings, my brother and I would watch wrestling. And at seven to eight in the morning, it was the AWA. From eight o'clock to nine o'clock, it was the WWF. And then WCCW came on from 10 to 11. We got three hours of wrestling before we even hit breakfast. <laughs> and then Saturday night was Gordon <laughs> Soli in Florida Championship Wrestling. Um, so if you really, and then if you got Saturday night's main event, it was very common to have five hours of professional wrestling in Tampa, Florida uh for a kid on the weekend that's more than some people watch football so we got to see everything where people in different territories only got to see certain things and in growing up in tampa florida hulk hogan's family terry bolea and his wife and his two children lived down the street from us steve kern a lot of people within the wrestling business they were mainstays and then of course later on in the arena football leagues my roommate uh is now on fox news my roommate in the arena football league was tyrus who is now his name is george murdoch we were roommates way before he became a professional wrestler so i've never been part of the professional wrestling business but growing up in tampa florida it's always been around my life and uh having gone to private investigating school in 2018 i was given a couple of different um cases one case involved a wrestler named gino hernandez the other case involved uh, Joe Lynn Rogers, which is Sam Houston's sister, Jake the Snake Roberts' sister, and of course, um, Rock and Robin's sister. And they said, Which case would you like to work on? Pure coincidence. Wow. And I says, Well, I'd like to work <clears throat> on this while I was going through private investigating school. And, and that's how what's led us to here today. And I've worked on some of the biggest uh, cases in the country. But wrestling has always come to me as a private investigator, whether it was this case or finding, let's say Hulk Hogan's boots from WrestleMania three wrestling keeps coming back into my life because these guys' lives are so chaotic. It seems Mm -hmm. like private. So I've been dubbed at this point after a couple of documentary series, I worked on the kayfabe detective, but I work on cases outside of pro wrestling as well. And and that's, what's put us all together today.
0: Well, and me and Dale just do a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but the reason we're here today is to talk about Joe Lynn Smith Rogers this is sam houston's sister tell right. us tell us some a little bit of background on Jolene and sam what do you know well, about her younger life what can you tell us
2: well uh you know we were on the road like i said now joe, uh when i was a little little kid and everything uh jake and joe when when my father left his uh first wife uh which is jake and uh uh joe lynn's mom richard uh was their mom But he left her, he got custody of the kids. Well, uh, my father's sister was unable to have children. So she adopted Richard, which was the baby. He was just a small baby at the time. Mm -hmm. And JoLynn and and Jake, I guess, uh, after we all got together, I mean, I remember them living with us all over the place, in Georgia, in Texas, everywhere. And then in 1969, when I started first grade. After the school year was over, Dad had been down in Florida, and he was uh, uh, working undercover uh, with the sheriff's department on uh, they were bringing, I guess, speed or cocaine in or whatever. I'm not sure. But anyway, he got uh, he got a note at the matches one night and. Uh, the note had all, had all of our names and the schools that we went to written on it, the piece of paper did. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff told dad to get out of town now, get home, get us out of there. Wow. And, uh, dad came mm-hmm. home, Jake and Jolynn decided to live with, uh, their mom and stepfather. And then Robin and, uh, mom and dad and I, we moved to Louisiana and dad started working for Leroy McGurk full time as the, uh, booking agent. And, uh, run the territory and stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we left. Dad, when my, when my mom and dad split up, me and my dad went back on the road. We were. I went with my dad, so I was there. Uh, and then, uh, gosh, he went back to work for Bill Watts for Mid South Wrestling at the time. And that's the time period when Joe Lynn was taken. Well, Joe Lynn lived in Tatum, Texas. And, uh, was married to a Ted Rogers and Tatum takes about 40 minutes from us. So, you know, they were, uh, they were coming down on Friday nights and I was finally getting to spend time with my sister.
1: Yeah.
0: You
2: know, how
1: much, how, uh, how much older is she? that you say? Oh,
2: I don't, uh, gosh, uh, five years.
1: Okay. And when you say Uh, dad, you're saying it's grizzly, right? Grizzly Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just be clear. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: So, uh, but anyway, there, her, she had messed her uh, ankle up a few weeks earlier before this happened. But we were getting close and everything, and kind of, it was great, you know. I had a sister that, you know, I, I'd been on the road. I started out with a whole family, a slew of kids around me. Then it dwindled down to just two, and then one. You know, you're an only child. and You're back. You know, it's a lot of stuff going on. So. But uh, Lynn and I were pretty pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And then uh, November the, the 20th in 1979, uh, nine, well, a to- tornado hit our house and destroyed it in 78. Our house was the only one left standing on the block. They kept coming over and helping fix it up and, the stu- you know, clean it and everything. So we were getting close. And in 79, November 20th, two days before Thanksgiving, we get the phone call that she was taking. Mm. Um. There was a the the one of the neighbors who was chasing, uh, uh, and I guess it was a trailer park manager, who chased a car out of there and I guess lost the car, but kind of picked up the trail and found it back in the woods, and that's where they figure they they switched the bodies. But Ted was gone already. This is some stuff I was going over today. Yeah. Ted was a welder, you know, and he went to work before five thirty in the morning. You know, that didn't make sense. He he, he was a welder in a trailer shop. Hmm. You know? Right. Uh, So that didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And one of the things I was reading over today said there never was a ransom note. Yes, there was. A ransom note did get sent. I got the phone call on a Saturday morning that there was a ransom note. I drove to Tatum, Texas, and... um, I want, he didn't have the gun pointed at me, but he had the gun, and he wasn't letting the letter leave until Ted arrived in Tatum, Texas, to get his fingerprints on the letter because I believe he didn't wear gloves when he made the letter.
1: Yeah. Okay. Who who had the gun now?
2: Uh, the, his friend, a uh, friend of his named Tommy. Okay, and,
1: and, and Ted. Ted is Joe Lynn's husband.
2: Uh, husband. Yes. Okay.
1: Let's back up just a little bit and let's talk about Jolene.
0: Did she have a lot of friends growing up? I mean, was she pretty personable and outgoing?
2: Well, I mean, she, I mean, uh, as as you know I it. couldn't tell. You, uh, she had friends. I know she was always having fun, and you know, uh, you know, always on the go and stuff. Always involved in things.
0: I mean, did like you know? did the uh, other kids come around and play with her neighborhood kids kids down the road come down and play i
2: I don't know that Uh, when when she would come down to louisiana they'd come down to louisiana a couple weeks out of the summer or whatever yeah uh you know but she stayed basically well she stayed to herself kind of inside the house she was you know young lady and stuff and mine and my sister's friends were still five years younger so yeah she didn't know anybody when she came there she had her had her own friends and i know she had friends there in the uh in tatum because her and her and ted and other couples would she they would bring other couples to the matches with them
0: yeah that's the reason i'm asking that because i'll I'll probably circle back to that in just a little bit and talk about that um do you know of anybody that you know when, when she married this ted guy did they elope or did they have a church wedding or how what did they have do you know
2: I'm not sure. I just know they got married. Uh, I got the snot slapped out of me. Me and my dad were driving from Louisiana up to Oklahoma. And we went through Gainesville and uh, uh, Lynn had Ted at at a, at a reunion kind of party at her mom's house. And that's when I first met Ted. This was before the wedding. And I said, "Well, he's kind of old, ain't he?" And my dad turned around and slapped me clean off the porch. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: but he was—he was a Jim can tell you more on that. He, but he wasn't older, you know, and
3: just—I don't know—something just wasn't right.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, guys, guys, let me can you hear me, okay? Yeah, yes, we hear. That's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Sam's story, and that's why I'm sitting here listening to it. And Sam, I spoke to. Um, probably last on this case. The numbers of siblings and half-sister, half-brother, brother, 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 full-brother, half-brother. This brother was raised by this family because of the wrestling background. If I can add some color, I I don't know if this is something you guys are gonna edit together, but Sam's story is pretty much what was out there. It was referenced a couple of different times in documentaries. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring, Jake Roberts mentioned it in there, and there was blood in a trunk, and there's bits of blood, yeah. That, well, they're, they're, they're never ended up. So here's what happened. So what I had to do was take the bits and pieces of the story that I heard from the documentaries, from interviews, from newspaper clippings, and find out what the real story is. And that's where this thing goes down a rabbit hole that you can't possibly imagine. First of all, Jolyn Smith married Ted Murph Rogers. Ted Murph Rogers was almost 40 years older than her. She was 18 years old with a child. So Sam Sam has a nephew, and that nephew was with her. She did hurt her leg, but this thing – and they were living in a trailer park together, and that's why I was quiet because I didn't know how they got married. But years later, Ted Murph Rogers uh, was arrested and received uh, a sentencing for – Bigamy. Bigamy. Yeah. Yeah. So even if he was married and did marry Jolynn Smith, Rogers, Sam Houston's sister, the marriage was null and void because he was still married to a woman. That and and, and we're jumping all around here. The the ransom note actually came to the house before she went missing. The ransom note was given to Ted Murph Rogers before. Jolynn smith rogers weeks before even a month before ever disappeared which is what makes this so incredibly scary they believe that the woman that ted murph rogers was still married to uh was the one that sent the letter and actually her and Jolynn smith rogers had spoken before and had met face to face before about this letter because she believed that that letter was made to scare her away from her new husband And the child was not his. See, that's the interesting part. We never really could nail down who the father of that child was. Hmm. The father is Ted.
2: The father is is Ted. You could take one look at TJ, and he's a spitting image of his daddy.
3: Well, and and that's kind of where – and see, that boy, that little baby in that trailer park is still alive today. He's the only one in this whole case that I've never spoken to. And I've always wanted to talk to him. I talked to the arresting officers and everything. So here's how this goes. You want me to give you guys the story as to how she disappeared? Yes.
0: Bring it on. Yeah.
3: She meets this man, this Ted Murph Rogers. They have a courtship. She has now. Now, JoLynn Smith was a big girl. Yeah. She was not small like her sister who was in WWF. That's a small woman. She was built more like her father. So she's a big girl at 18 so she carried herself looking older. So even though she's 17, 18 in the late 70s, she looked like she could easily pass for her mid 20s and then with the baby. Yeah. Um so bottom line is and and Sam I'll shoot straight from I mean, we're shooting here, right? I mean you want yeah. the truth? Okay. So the the story was she had to get out of that house. She did not want to be there which is what drove her into the arms of this much much older man who had baggage and children much older than her and a crazy ex-wife that was no longer living with her. He brings JoLynn Smith into his house, into his trailer in this trailer park. She lives with him, with a baby. Now, Sam, I don't know, because I've never spoken or interviewed him. I was told later by Ted Murph Rogers' family that after 1977, he could no longer father children. He had a surgery and and an accident where he was sterile. He couldn't have kids. So I'm very, very interested to know how that baby is his and could still do DNA based on his relatives. The initial guys, with all due respect, and I love this family. I real, I love all of them. Mm-hmm. I like, I love Sam. I love his sister, Jake, and I have had a couple of bizarre conversations, <laughs> um, and I've spoken with the relatives that you've never heard of or seen on, on television. The um, original consensus, guys. The original conversation was that that baby was her father's.
1: Wow. Oh, man. Uh,
3: So she might have been raped. She might have been sexually molested. Fathered a child with her dad and moved in with Ted Murph Rogers, which might explain why Sam Houston got a fucking slap because he didn't want it to get out that that could be his baby. What guy is going to let his daughter go with a 50-year-old guy like this that has the baggage that he did in a trailer. Um, there was some issues there. That was where this whole thing started. The the ransom note came before she ever went missing. The ex-wife or well, I got one. in,
2: I got there. I was held, it was a week and a half after. It was on a Saturday morning that it came to Tommy's. My dad was headed to uh or South Louisiana for La Rondre that night and I caught him at the gas station. It was on a Saturday. And it was uh, a week and a half. She got taken on the Tuesday. It was uh, the not that Saturday, but the following Saturday. Well, it I said, "Tad, you know what I want. If you ever want to see Joe live."
3: And you know what guys we could be both right here and sam could have nailed it because there might have been two ransom notes i only know about the one before she went missing so ted murph rogers had a crazy ex-wife yeah and um this woman was obviously older her na- l- name is faylin rogers so when i got into private investigating college in tampa florida I had already finished a, a bachelor's degree at a school in Atlanta. I've already gone to regular college. I thought my arena football career might be coming to a close. So I went to private investigating school, and they hand me these two cases. And Gino Hernandez's case seemed to be a little bit um, more cut and dry the missing persons and we know what happened to gino hernandez he's dead if we know if we remember who he was Um, this story was a little bit different and there had been different variations of it so it's what attracted it to me so after i graduated from pi school they thought i did a pretty good job i thought you know what i should reach out to this family and tell them what i have been working on over the last year and see if they want me to work on it full time because nobody had ever done a deep dive into this story and that's when i got a hold of sam's sister which was rock and robin at first she thought it was total horseshit and i said let me work on this for you let me at least fill in the gaps and the only story she was aware of of what she got from her father and all that so basically that's how it all started i dove in it with both feet and i found out that um That's what brings us up to the night a couple of days or 24 hours before Thanksgiving when JoLynn Smith Rogers disappeared forever. And that's when this story gets even more incredible. And I've never been interviewed publicly about it with the exception of one time. And I've never really told the story about it. I've I've been able to tell bits and pieces because what happens here guys, not to drone on, but just so we understand we're all on the same page, is when you're in that part of Texas, and I would make phone calls to police officers, when I would make phone calls to uh, neighbors and try to hunt down cops that were in their 80s, most of the people that were involved in this that were cops in 1979 or police chiefs are in their 80s now. Okay. So, what? I, and I was born in 76, I was two when this went down. But when I would call and start asking about the case, and saying it involved uh, a famous professional wrestling family out of Texas. Well, who do you think they thought I was talking about?
1: Devon Eric's. Yeah.
3: There you go. So people, the the, the Aurelio Smith, Sam Houston, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, Rock and Robin, Grizzly Smith, all of them did such a good job. Of never letting you know that they were related until much later on when Sam and his sister tag teamed together in a different organization. Nobody knew Sam Houston was Jake the Snake Roberts' brother if you were watching from your living room on Saturday night's main event. Right. So nobody, they don't get credit with being one of the largest wrestling families ever. They're right up there with the Hearts, the Von Erics, but they're like, I would go to people and they're like, wait a minute, Rock and Robin is related to who? Jake <laughs> the Snake Roberts, yeah, I remember him. His dad was who? so what i had to do was start crossing people off the list and the initial stories were because of how polarizing they were that grizzly smith had something to do with her disappearance or jake the snake roberts did jake the snake roberts at the time was a referee in louisiana he had not even stepped into the ring as the as an athlete yeah he was still fred Platt. there you go so he so now i'm like jake the snake roberts in 1978 i couldn't find jake the snake roberts or jake roberts I found, what was his name? Fred Platt. I'm like, who the hell is Fred Platt? <laughs> and then the father has recently been deceased. And that's when I was able to find, so I says, well, the woman that abducted her, the woman that was um, charged with kidnapping, I'll start by finding her. And that's where the story begins. Wow. A lot of moving parts, guys. This is yeah. a three-hour, this is a movie. I this believe is, it. With, with, and what this it. family has gone through is a movie. The only part that gets a little dicey here is Rock and Robin years ago did some shoot interviews and talked about the family being involved in sexual molestation.
2: But so I was never involved in anything like that. I didn't. I didn't start finding anything out until I was 28. I walked in the dressing room and Ron Bass looked at me. He goes, "You don't know, do you?" And I looked at him, I was like, huh? He said, you don't know. He said, all these years, he goes, you've been the bait.
3: You know? There you go. Wow. Yep. Sam Houston, such a good-looking kid. Now, where I grew up in Tampa, we had our own version of Sam Houston. And I'll let you edit this together however you guys want it, whether it's – we had a guy down there named Kendall Wyndham. Yep. Kendall Wyndham was our version in Florida of Sam Houston up in the Northeast or in Texas or in WCW. If you look back at their early careers, they almost look like they could be related tall, thin, lanky. Sam was a much better athlete, a much better performer, but they came from wrestling families. So a lot of times when I would dive into this, people would, they would say the same thing. Sam Houston was used to get bait to attract young boys and young women for his fathers at Ophelia, which is why Sam is 100% out of the loop in all of this stuff, not just because of his age, but because I'm glad he admitted that because that was said to me because I'm like, well, how did Sam get, you know, how did he not get involved in all this? I mean, you saw what it did to Jake Roberts when he tells the story. His sister, the father even talks about it. Sam is almost – he was like the golden child. Yep. He was treated way different than everybody else in this family.
2: Well, see, I was i was the alibi. You know, my dad would take me on the road. I was going to the matches every night when I was a little kid. But on the way to, to, go, to the, go to the matches, we'd stop and pick up one of the uh, – you know, our friends or my friend. That supposedly like me to watch after me at the show. and then after the matches we would go home, on the way home. I you know dad would get me a bottle of Boone's farm you know and knock you right out. Wow. Yeah. you know uh, then mom would say anything you know it was and mom didn't question me really, but you know hey, how was your trip? Blah, blah, blah. what'd you do? you know what well, we did you know everything was all innocent.
3: It, guys, it's a terrifying story. And through the story, just like any of these guys, these professional wrestlers, uh, these athletes back then, all the side stories. So Grizzly Smith, depending on who you interviewed, was either the most terrifying, pedophilic, sickening human being in the world, or he was the nicest, most gentle man. Let me give you an example. I interviewed Lenny Poffo. We remember him as the genius, correct? Right. Right. Lenny Poffel was one of the few men that actually traveled in the same vehicle with Grizzly Smith because I couldn't find anybody that went up and down those roads other than Sam Houston, who I was not able to get a hold of at the time, that could tell me about those stories in the car. Well, and one of the reason-
2: he could, yeah. There's a lot of guys that we, we used to ride with, but Lenny uh, Lanny rode with him all the time, too.
3: One on, I wanted one-on-one, and I wanted a guy that came from a wrestling family. So I tracked Lanny down, who, by the way, lives down the street from my parents in Clearwater, Florida. Um, it's where his brother lived and all that stuff. So one more guy in the area. And he said, I, I rode with him because I could stand two things. And I says, what two things? He said, cigar smoke and the most hot car he says he would put the heat on in the summer he said his car was so incredibly hot nobody would ride with him i says tell me about the molestations never saw it tell me about picking up young girls never happened he i love that man he said he says that guy was like a father to me but i understood him no issues now you talk to um and he recently passed away and i got a chance to speak to him uh the assassin who's really uh,
1: jody hamilton i'm sorry jody, jody hamilton.
3: hamilton jody hamilton who by the way guys you talk to sam houston you want to talk to him about wrestling when you call jody hamilton at his house which by the way is one of the was one of the hardest human beings to find in the world he was living in georgia and you remember him as a kid and you remember that voice jody hamilton's voice in real life is the assassin's voice when he's beating the shit out of dusty roads <laughs> yeah. so i call this assassin he goes yellow and I'm like, oh shit! I started getting sick. <laughs> and I said, Mister Hamilton, yeah, who's calling? And I said, My name is James Terry. I'm a private investigator. What are you calling me for? What are you calling me for, son? And I said, Whoa. and now I'm like, now I feel like I did something wrong. Like, God, I hope I blocked my number. You know what I mean? I'm like, this guy's gonna... now. At the time, Jody was probably 78 years old, and I can hear pounding in the background. And I said, Listen, sir, I says, um, I'm calling about a missing person's case involving a professional wrestler. He goes, okay. And then he actually said, this is so bizarre. I said, but I can't hear you. There's a lot of pounding. He goes, I have a ring behind my house and I train a couple of guys. He said, "Um, I would like to speak with you after this is over. Can we meet face to face? And I said, yeah. And I says, well, this is going to sound terrible. Where do you want, I don't know where to meet you. He goes, how about in a public park? And I'm like, I'm not meeting a fucking assassin at a public park. Like, I'm just not going to do that. And I says, well, he goes, all right, well, I'll be there at three o'clock. And I said, Mr. Hamilton, I, you know, this is going to sound terrible. I don't know what you look like. Like, <laughs> I've seen you in a mask for 30 years. I don't know what you look like. So he started laughing. I think he calmed down a little bit. And he told me stories about Sam's father. And let me tell you some weird things he told me. He told me um, that Sam's father, uh, Grizzly, was an incredibly good seamstress. That he could he sewed the curtains for the background in professional wrestling background drops. Sam, wow. did you know that?
2: Uh, I didn't know that. I know he did he did crafts and stuff. I didn't. Uh, he uh, used to make mattresses when he was a kid for Mr. Estes there in Whitesboro, Texas. Uh, I know he did things like that.
3: He could sew wrestle, uh, names on wrestling boots. He could make shirts. He could, And you see a guy that size, especially back then. There's a lot more people that look like that size now. But this is a terrifying-looking human being in the 70s and the 60s. And then you put him on television, and he's crushing people. And then he's, by the way, he would go to people and say, yeah, I could sew the curtains for you. And people <laughs> are looking at him like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So Jody Hamilton started telling me these stories, and he goes, I was aware of the stuff that was going on with him. But back then, you know, you didn't rat people out, you didn't go to court. And there was a hell of a lot of stories, guys, where Grizzly Smith, um, where people would be in trouble in the wrestling business, whether it was Jim Cornette being one of them. And he would show up, talk to the local pol- chief of police, which by the way, the cops worked the wrestling matches, and they would release these wrestlers without any bond, without any bail for things like beating the piss out of somebody in a parking lot, domestic violence, he had that kind of power with the sheriff's departments there because he kept them hired at the matches. So depending on who you talk to, you didn't know who Grizzly Smith was until you hit a couple of people that said, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, And that's kind of where where it it really kicked off.
1: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's all I've said, though. Yeah, that's about all all I've said, too.
3: All right, guys. And and Donnie, as a private investigator, you got to understand, you you almost have to kind of, it's two cases. It's cases of Grizzly Smith, Jake the Snake Roberts, but. It's not really that. These are human beings.
0: Yeah. I These heard. are
3: family members. There's children involved. And you got to be able to take the fame away to be able to dive into the case. And that's where this thing goes so haywire that it's absolutely incredible, which led me to my calls to Jake the Stake and, and a gamut of other people. Um, and I believe that I believe that she, I still am not 100 percent convinced she's deceased.
2: Yeah, And I'm too now. Well, anyway, so um, just to, uh, like, you know, get in here for just a second. (laughs) Anyway, um, okay, Jim reached out to me. The story that we, okay, everything, uh, when it was all, the trial was all over, the whole nine yards. uh, She was sentenced to 30 years. That's what, you know, that's what we thought. And I thought that she was, you know, was, was still in there. Jim reaches out to me, and it wasn't till I found, I talked to him that he found out that uh, after eight years she was released.
1: Okay, wait, who who was sentenced? Uh, uh, who who was sentenced?
2: Uh, Phelan, Phelan
1: Rogers. Okay. okay. Okay.
2: Okay.
3: The ex-wife the that abducted
2: her. The
1: ex-wife
2: <clears throat> abducted Jolynn Smith Rogers
3: at the trailer park and was sentenced to 30 years. She only did about eight and a half years and got out of jail. Okay. So yeah. Because we went from
1: kidnapping and then maybe there was a note and then not and then to 30 years, so we missed a gap and I was just trying to fill that in.
2: Well, uh, we were told that she Jolynn was incinerated at the college in the by the uh, where they incinerate uh, uh, animals and stuff. Hmm. That's, that was what we were told or led to believe,
1: right? Yeah.
2: Because so they found her hair in a dumpster, right?
3: No, her hair—her hair was not found in the dumpster. Her hair was found in the trunk uh, on some um, rope. Oh So okay. what happened is she was abducted the morning of uh, the day before Thanksgiving or the day of Thanksgiving. Tuesday,
2: uh, uh, the twentieth. She was taken on a Tuesday.
3: So she was abducted on a Tuesday. She was put in the trunk of a car. Which by which looked like it was by Ted so Ted Murph Rogers leaves at five thirty in the morning. Okay. About an hour later, somebody comes to the door. Jolynn Smith Rogers at the time comes to the trailer park door and opens up the door. That leads Ooh. me to believe that the person that she opened up the door for, she knew. She had a baby. The baby was in the crib and she had a bum ankle, a bad leg. The woman then um, gets her to come outside in her house coat, which is then later identified as Ted Murph Rogers' ex-wife or current wife at the time. Her and another large man, later believed to be African American, stuffed her in the trunk of the vehicle. They were able to overpower her. Phelan Rogers was not a big woman and she could not overpower JoLynn Smith Rogers. They weren't even in the same weight class. Plus, she was much younger, even with a bad leg. It never would have happened. So she had a large would seem like a large black man stuffer in the trunk of the car. There was some screaming. There was some yelling. People in that trailer park saw the car takes off. Another guy that was the manager of the property watched this. And while another guy was going to work, he said a woman was just abducted. By the way, the baby's left in the trailer. They get in the car and they start chasing this vehicle down the freeway until the vehicle does a loop and escapes. And then she's never seen from again. Once they eventually caught up with her, they never they caught up with her in the parking garage of the college. The college escapes me right now. The college had a. Uh, a thing in it where they uh, they would uh, the medical department would come and work on cadavers, yeah. uh, human bodies. There was an incinerator at the college, and this is the weekend of this is the weekend of Thanksgiving. The kids were out of school. The car was later caught, and the abductor was caught there by the police at the college, and Jolin Smith Rogers was gone. The consensus that the police had was that they got her into the college killed her and incinerated her at the college oh. there's no proof of that absolutely none in fact they didn't even initially keep her under arrest because the tires from her car and the tires in the trailer park were totally different oh. in between abducting Jolynn smith rogers and being caught at the college which by the way phelan the uh the abductor worked at the college it's had she had the keys it was it was contrived it was planned the note that came before the ransom note that came before was to give her an alibi that said see there was a ransom note somebody wanted this woman when it was all contrived by one woman but because they never found the body they never found any signs of so jake the snake in one of his documentaries said oh there was tons of blood in the trunk and they found her and you know she said Fuck you you'll never find her The bottom line was that's just not true. All they found was her hair, some ropes and some ties in the trunk of a car. But in between the abduction and going to the college to possibly incinerate her body, her tires had been changed. This woman actually stopped off in the middle of Texas and got brand new tires so that when the cops caught up with her, they couldn't match the prints. That's how well planned out this had been. They arrested her. The cop had seen the large black man, but had only seen him in the parking garage. He never put two and two together that that guy was part of the abduction. So he's never been found. And I believe he's still out there and holds the key to all of this. Wow. And that's when she got 30 years and without a body, she appealed and got eight and a half and was let out of prison. And that's where Sam's at now.
1: Okay. So do you guys think that uh, the Ted guy was in on this? That's why he left that early. He knew it was coming.
2: I I, I kind of do.
1: Yeah, it seems like like you said he was going to work at a welding shop. If he was, if he didn't leave that yeah, early all the time, you know, it's kind of odd that he would leave at five thirty and still
3: dark. You
2: know, offshore you work twelve hour days. I, on land, I'm I'm pretty sure welders only
3: have to work six or eight hours. Well, yeah. the major question is, what did the woman that abducted her say in between abducting her and being at the college? She said that once they eluded the car. And she never gave up the name of the black man, never once, never sold anybody out. She took it to the grave. Um, She said that they did a U-turn, and when they did a U-turn, she escaped. And when she escaped from the vehicle, she ran into a pastor and was never seen again. That's where the famous videos and stuff that I found and the, the newspaper clippings of Grizzly Smith in a helicopter, the trial, there was a the biggest manhunt in that area that you have ever seen for a missing person happened on that weekend, and they never found anything that corroborated that she ran out through the field. And that's when Grizzly Smith was extremely important in the trial because he knew, like Sam knows, that her ankle was bad and there's no way she could have ran. Hmm. So they got her for kidnapping and not murder because they never found the body.
0: So why would, if if she got out, why wouldn't she come back for the child? I mean, why would she not try to get her? That's
3: a great question. You want to know what the, you want to know why? Yeah. We're going to go on the assumption she's alive and she made it.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, Supposedly the ankle had been hurt by beatings at home. The baby was her father's she wanted out of that lifestyle and she wanted out of that world and there is a possibility in this i mean it goes way down the rabbit hole and i don't want to monopolize this i want sam to be able to, to to do what he's doing here but because the case is so intricate i found a Jolynn smith rogers about four years ago yes. in texas and she was adopted by a family but never had a social security card never had a career never had a job so why would she do that maybe her life at home and in that trailer and being abducted. I mean, this JoLynn Smith was abducted. If she did make it out. Now the family of this woman that was, I think could possibly be JoLynn Smith is the people that own the fucking Colts. The Indianapolis Colts. Oh, well, I thought that was San Antonio Spurs. Well, uh, Lucas Lucas's Uh, is that, is that Lucas oil? Lucas oil field. Is that, 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 where is that?
1: That is in Indianapolis. Yes
3: so the Lucases were on their way to thanksgiving that morning on the way to thanksgiving they went right through that road that joe lynn smith rogers would have escaped from so let me put this into perspective if we want to play this game and i i don't have a lot of proof but i've got some i can't cross it off imagine i abduct sam houston right and sam houston's in the trunk of my car and he's 15 years old and i'm driving down the freeway and he escapes and he had a terrible upbringing terrible life everything And he gets out of the car, and he runs through a field, and I say, I better get the fuck out of here, and I leave. And then coming down the road as Sam Houston's walking down a road in his house coat or in his pajamas, Vince McMahon pulls up and says, young man, what are you doing here? I just ran away from my family. I was kidnapped. I'm abused. Come on. And then he takes him under his wing, and back then people did that kind of shit. It is very plausible that JoLynn Smith Rogers, after being abducted, made it to safety and a family abducted her and she stayed with them and was their nanny for the next 35 years. Wow. Wow. Did, and that's a very tough phone call to make to Jake the snake Roberts. Yeah. Because it was beyond bizarre.
0: Did Lynn Smith Rogers, Sam Houston's sister, did she have a social security card or a social security number?
3: Yes. I got all that from Sam's brother who he mentioned that is not in the entertainment business. Um, his name is – he's Richard. a mechanic. Yeah, Richard. Richard. Was that – yeah.
0: <clears throat> has that social security number ever been used for anything or –
3: No. Nope. So here's what happened. I thought I found Jolyn Smith Rogers in Texas, and I called a woman that was her sister. But when I did the background on the woman that was the sister mm-hmm. – so I found Jolyn Smith Rogers. Yep. Yeah. Now, how did I find Jolene Smith Rogers? Here's the deal. I first had to find, and I figured at this point, a woman in her 80s, I could probably lean on the kidnapper. we got to start with the kidnapper. I found the kidnapper. She was working in Texas as a clerk for an air conditioning company. And how Phelan Rogers is such an incredibly unique name Nobody has the name Phelan.
0: I've never heard so that I name before either.
3: I've searched a national. I searched every state in the country for somebody named Phelan, and I found a, a an air conditioning company that had a clerk. They had a website with all their employees on it and all their pictures at picnics and all this stuff. This air conditioning company in Texas. And I went on the website and I saw Steve and I saw Robert and I saw the family that owned it. And I saw that they had a secretary that had been there for 10 years, and guess what? Her name was Phelan, uh, and she went by her maiden name. She didn't use Rogers, it was Phelan something, I forget. And she was the only one without a picture. Oh. So I said, what are the odds that this is the same woman? Because she's the only one that doesn't have it, and I, she's an older secretary, this has gotta be her. So I called the air conditioning company. And the air conditioning picked up the company and I says, I'm trying to look for Phelan Rogers or Phelan. I forget what name she was using at the time. And they said, what's this about? I says, you ain't going to believe me. I says, is she roughly, you know, 82 years old? And they said, yeah. I said, is she originally from this part of the state of Texas? They said, yeah. I says, how long has she worked? They said about 15 years. And I said, I'm going to text you a picture right now. Will you tell me if this is the same woman? And the owner of the air conditioning company says yeah sure i text them the picture he goes yeah that's her he wow. goes that's her like 35 years ago Good he Lord. goes where did you get this picture this is our aunt faye i go she's related to you he goes no she worked for our family business for so long that um as a, as a clerk in a separate office above the air conditioning company that we just called her our aunt faye i go where why isn't her picture on the website they go you know she never took pictures she would not get in any company pictures, any picnics, nothing. Imagine. She was that. very odd about her privacy. Wow. And I said, Holy shit. I says, you know, did she is she there? Can I speak to her? They go, she died eight months ago. Wow.
0: Oh man. Eight months too late.
3: Yep. Dang. And I says, You gotta be kidding me. I says, Well, wait a second. Does she have a relative? They go, We think she has a daughter who got her house. So they said, so here's now, now the conversation is they go, but this sweet little old lady didn't even curse. She didn't drink. She didn't eat junk food. What is this about? Why is a private investigator, some fast talking PI from Mississippi looking up for this old sweet lady who died in her house alone. And by the way, was dead in the house for days before mm-hmm. anybody found her. She had no family, no friends. Why is a PI hunting this woman down?
1: You <laughs> and ain't going to believe this.
3: <laughs> Have you guys ever watched professional wrestling? and they said yeah and i said well she abducted and murdered a woman uh 30 years ago and um i believe that she may hold the key or have held the key to where jolyn smith rogers is and they go well who's jolyn smith rogers and i went down the list of the family and they said holy shit!" so then the office started arguing with one another and they said, there's no way, there's no way this is the same woman. I go, did you guys ever do a background check on her? No. Why would we do a background check on a little old lady? Well, then they ran a background check right then and there with the police department, and they about shit themselves. Mm. And so she, I said, okay, now here we go. I got to do They says, well, she died eight months ago, and her home is in probate, and she has a daughter who's living in the house, which, by the way, she had lived in. Back when the abduction happened, is it possible that Jolyn Smith Rogers is buried under that house or in the walls or that her daughter, who's now in her 60s, knows something about it? So what I did was I said, what information do you have? And other than an address of a small house that was in probate, all they had was an emergency contact number. So I said, who's the emergency contact number to? They said they gave me the guy's name and his number, and I called him and it was her brother. And I got the number and a guy kept picking up the phone and says, why are you calling for my dad? It was Phelan Smith's, or it was Phelan Rogers' nephew. Phelan Rogers' nephew said, that number, that emergency contact is to my father. And I said, well, he's the only person that your aunt Faye had a number to. Can I speak to him? He goes, I wish he died two weeks ago. (laughs) So now I'm like, like if I had this a year ago, I'd have cracked it right. and I says, okay, he goes, but I want to tell you something. This story ruined our family's lives. So now I know it's the right woman. He says, she has a daughter. She has the house. She never spoke of this story. And um, I'm telling you right now that um, there's only probably one person that could probably tell you what really happened. And that's the black guy. She used to hang around holy cow
1: ding there we go now i know
3: there's a black guy right and so then i had to start hunting down people and i hunted down her daughter uh, at the house and that's when they started talking to me about what you know was really going on behind closed doors and what had happened we found a treasure trove of photographs of grizzly smith and so then there's one more guy to contact and that's her husband the guy she was married to ted murph rogers So I tracked down his children and his ex-wife who he was with after, and he had died uh, 15 months prior. They were all gone.
1: Wow,
2: just so
0: close.
3: Well, we're not done yet, but go ahead. Sam might want to chime in.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, after after Jim had, had told me what he had found with the family, you know, with the sports family and stuff, You know everything started you know i started searching some too you know he told me it was uh oh gosh there's a little town outside of dallas at uh corsicana right yes yeah you told me that uh the the joe lynn that you you heard of was in uh corsicana um anyway after that i i got caught in texas without travel papers and I was still on parole. The parole laws changed in Louisiana. However, it must not have affected me. You know, and I had a, a fallen out with my sister. So, I, you know, I was in Texas. I ended up having to do 11 months there. Uh, and then while I was there, though, you know, God puts you in places for a reason. While I was there, uh, three guys tried to kill a guy. The fellow that was in the Louisiana uh, Flip and Move TV show, Chad. Uh, gosh, what was his name? Uh, anyway, uh, he, uh, that got me moved to the hospital there, and while I was at the hospital, some of the deputies, uh, I was at the hospital working at the hospital when I got involved in the fight against a murderer and two armed robbers, uh, saved that boy's life. They'd already, got, he'd, they'd already stabbed him, broke his jaw, his uh, cheekbones, his eye sockets, uh, his nose, and fractured his skull by the time I got there. Um, I got him out of there. They came to try to finish him off a few more times. They couldn't get through me. Uh, Whenever he came out of the coma, he asked how I was. They said, why are you worried about him? He said, he saved my life. So they moved me, made me a trustee, and sent me to Lolly Kemp Hospital. And I ended up working out there from May till November. It was really cool. I got close to one of the deputies, and they went online and found uh, a, a woman named Jolyn Rogers from New York sent my sister-in-law, Paula, a friend request on Facebook and then deleted it and then uh, sent it to her again and then deleted it again, you know? And Paula was look, you know, trying to figure out, you know, who this lady was, the same name. I looked at some pictures, but it's been 41 years. I would have to see the lady you know, face to face, and if her life was so horrible that she had to leave, I understand. I mean, but all I want to do is be able to say, "I'd like to be here," and if there's anything I can do to help,
1: yeah, you know? exactly, you know? yeah.
2: But uh, the uh, uh, Jolynn Rogers, and it was a blonde lady, and she was large; she was a big bone woman. <laughs> So hopefully, I don't know, you know, I'd like to, if she is out there, uh, you know, she can just reach me. I, I, Gosh, I mean, it'd be a blessing.
0: Well, that's exactly why we're doing this episode today, Sam, to, to get the word out and try to find some kind of answer. And this one, we had Jim on, too, to research yeah. this case. Jim,
2: did well, you? you know, we had all, we'd all, we'd all let it go, you know, and uh, in 2018, Jim reached me. And you know, we started talking about it, and brought, and I was able to confirm some things for him, and, and uh, everything. And then he tells me about you know the family and the whole nine yards. You know, it's a plausible story. Yeah,
3: you know, I, I wish I had Sam in the first eight to nine months of this thing, the first year. Um, because all I had was Robin and God bless Robin, but she was so young when all this went down and already, you know, she barely, you know, she remembers her sister, but she was so extremely young. Jake was an interesting deal because eventually I knew our paths were going to cross, but I was very careful not to make myself look like some kind of supermark who just was looking into a missing persons case. So I could talk to Jake Roberts. The problem with Jake was, is at the time he was living in Nevada with, I believe his daughter. And I was very careful and probably did not want to reach him until I had some absolute facts. The problem is, guys, I had to call Jake Roberts and say, hey, Jake, you know, you're going on these radio shows, you're going on these television shows. And there was about six different shows where he talked about his sister's disappearance. And each one got a little bit more gory and crazy and things happening in the courtroom. And it was just not true. And I couldn't tell if he was just working the story, if that was something that, you know, that he had heard over the years, but if he knew something that I didn't, so Jake either knew bits and pieces that were handed down, so I reached out to his daughter, who at the time was acting as an agent for him, uh, and she put me in contact with him, and it was one of the most bizarre conversations as a private investigator i've ever had in my in my career and i've talked to cartel leaders sex offenders drug dealers criminals like you couldn't possibly believe i've spoken with all kind of professional wrestlers before i even talked to jake and it was the most bizarre conversation you could possibly imagine because now i got to tell him that not only have i been working on this for eight months And I'm doing it for the family, by the way, not charging. I never charged for this case, which I think helped me in the long run because it didn't make it look like I was just trying to beat him down. Sam's sister is a very, very affluent um, flipper of homes in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi. She has a real estate company. She's a smart lady. Um, And I think Sam even helped her with some of those houses and was in that business maybe for a a bit, if I remember correctly. But Jake was a little bit different because Jake is a very untrusting human being. And now you got a PI that talks fast from across the country who knows all these things and it blew a fucking hole in him like you couldn't believe. And the problem that I had with Jake was he had been sober. And now I've got to go to a sober Jake the Snake Roberts in the middle of some kind of yoga bullshit with a guy named Dallas Page and tear up all these old memories. That My biggest concern was that I would knock him off the wagon. Right. And that got very difficult. So the first conversation with him was like nothing you could imagine.
0: So, uh, Jim, let's just circle back to the the African-American guy. Did you ever find out who he was that failing. So,
3: so uh, it led me to. So each little person in this story, whether it's Sam Houston, Jake Roberts, Ted Murph Rogers, whether it's, uh, by the way, Ted Murph Rogers was easy to find, and people could do this for themselves because all these people have extremely unique names. I found his obituary, and it listed all these people in his obituary. Well, they had unique names, and I started calling them. So I called Ted Murph Rogers, who Sam would know, the old guy, the husband, and I called his his most recent wife that he was married to up till the day he died. And he goes, wait a second. He was married to JoLynn Smith Rogers, the young girl in the photos with Grizzly Smith. And I says, how do you know Grizzly Smith? She goes, we have a trunk full of Ted's photographs and pictures. And he used to go to wrestling matches a lot. And like Sam said very early on, and we've got pictures, but we never knew who the young girl was. I said, that was his wife. And his most That's recent crazy. wife, when he died, who was much, much younger, said, wait a minute. He was married? I says, well, technically he wasn't because he was married to the woman that abducted her. Wait a minute. Oh, his first wife abducted his second wife and killed her? So that his his children didn't even know the story of Sam Houston's sister. So now I've made a call. Imagine this, your father's deceased. You get a phone call from a private investigator in Florida who says, is this your father? Yes. Your father, Ted Murph Rogers. Yes. How old are you? 30 years old. 12 years before you were born, your dad and his first wife conspired to abduct and kill a woman who's never been seen since. He got away with it. She went to jail. She's now dead. He's dead. By the way, the girl's parents... Is Jake the, uh, the girl's brother is Jake the Snake Robert, Sam Houston, and Rockin' Robin, and his dad's Grizzly Smith. What?
1: <laughs> wow, mind-blower.
3: What? <clears throat> like, wait a minute. Now we understand why he's got the big foam finger from WWF. He had pictures of Sam. They had pictures of Sam Houston wrestling against, uh, I don't know if it was, uh, maybe it was Bruno San Martino's son or something. They go, we wonder why dad had all this shit. And I says, well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How are you, his children, if he was sterile in 1977?
1: Ding, ding, ding.
3: So they go like this. So the mother goes like this. Okay, okay. My daughters don't know that Ted's not their father. And I said, shit. I mean, this is Jerry Springer on steroids. So now the mother, the woman of Ted Murph Rogers, who's married to him up to his death, has to look at her three daughters... And say, okay, he wasn't your biological dad. Who's our biological So wait a minute. You're telling me the guy that we thought was our dad is not our dad, conspired to kill the famous wrestling family's daughter. He's not our dad. Who the fuck's our dad? You gotta. You, you have any idea the kind of shit that this created? And how many families this tore apart that from one, beyond the grave?
1: That one phone call just blew up a whole lot of shit. Wow.
3: Well, not only that, but there's a shitload of grandkids. That's not our grandpa Murph. Yeah. No.
0: It's trickling on down.
3: Shit rolls downhill. So you asked a good question about the black man. Yeah. Ted Murph Rogers in between Joe Lynn Smith and his last wife had another wife. Oh my God. I found her. She had children that Ted Murph Rogers adopted. One turned out to be a world champion, uh, kickboxer so this was ted murph rogers stepson for a lot of years ted murph rogers beat this guy as a child so badly at his welding shop because he hated him that the kid became so tough he became a middleweight champion of the world at kickboxing and he filled in the gaps and i says tell me about your dad he goes that woman would show up at our house and i says what woman he said years later we were all at Thanksgiving." And a woman showed up at Thanksgiving and said, You promised to eat with us this year. That woman was the abductor. She had been out of prison. So the woman that abducted Sam Houston's sister showed up 25 years later to Ted Murph Rogers' Thanksgiving, banged on the door, and all the kids got scared because this woman had a gun outside the house and said, You were. So he still kept in contact with his first wife after Sam Houston's sister disappeared. Which led me to believe that he was in on it. Definitely. And I think what they were going to do was abduct her. And they believed that Aurelio Smith and and all the the, the Smith and Grizzly Smith's family was sitting on a shitload of money. They were going to extort this man and this family. And I think it went sideways and she might have died in that trunk. I don't know. Even the cops don't know. So now this woman comes and shows up at the door, and this kickboxer, this world champion kickboxer who's nine at the time, is eating Thanksgiving. And he remembers his stepdad being scared, Ted Murph Rogers being scared and being pulled outside. He looks outside and goes outside to throw the football around with his cousins, and Ted's getting yelled at by this woman on the front porch. And he looks, and she's going, "Faylin, Phelan, I was going to come to your house, but this is my wife and my family now. She goes, you're done for. I'm going to get you. And she gets in her car, and when she gets in her car, a large black man comes out of the passenger seat and says, you want me to take care of him now? She said, no, get in the car, and they go away. The kickboxer saw the black guy 25 years later.
1: Hmm. Oh, wow.
3: That led us to an apartment <clears throat> complex in what Sam was talking about. There was a private investigator who is now deceased who worked for the attorney of Phelan Rogers, who now has Alzheimer's. So I figured we'll go ahead and get a hold of Phelan, the abductor's attorney. He would at this point not be a a, – he would tell us where Phelan put the body, right? Because he's not an attorney anymore. What does he give a shit, right? (laughs) He's in his 80s. I tracked him down. They put him on the phone. He didn't even know his own fucking name. He had Alzheimer's. So his son is now an attorney and his son said, my father had a private investigator that worked for him for years, a black man named James Brown. Uh Uh-huh. And so here's the deal. Now is the black man, the PI, the one she used? So he was the one that said that about, about six months, uh, after joe lynn smith disappeared he or no excuse me that he tracked Jolynn smith rogers and murph rogers down 10 years later and found them in an apartment complex in that area that sam houston was talking about i later found out that the woman in that apartment complex was not sam houston's sister mm-hmm. it was a woman who fit her description so that pi all those years ago found somebody he thought was her her name just happened to be Joe Lynn as well. Crazy. It never stops. It still doesn't stop. This story never stops. The the, the craziest, real quick, and, and, and you guys could edit this out and get to Sam, and I'll let Sam tell everything he's got to tell. But just so we get this out, one of the most interesting stories of this, so that you can understand Grizzly Smith for as vilified as people want to make him, whether he was a sex offender, there was a side of this man that was a total 180. So you see, what could be worse than a pedophile? What could be worse than any of that? The story was, during the trial of the abductor, the man that took his daughter, he was in court. And you gotta figure, Sam, how big was your dad back then? At
2: that time, he was only about
3: 6'10 and about 370. Okay, the bailiffs there were 5'9", 160. So he's in the courtroom. And I interviewed a couple of people that were – he was so big they had to land the helicopter early during the searches. They couldn't bring him up in the helicopters in the 70s. These were helicopters they brought in from Vietnam. They had to stay, set him back down and they said, listen, we'd love to take you around, but we're losing gas and we don't want to crash. You're too big. you got to either drive the helicopter or we got to get rid of two cops. And we, you can't drive the helicopter. We're fucked. He couldn't even go up. He was so, such a large human being, he couldn't even go in a helicopter. There was nobody that size back then. So he was in the courtroom. And during sentencing, there was a possibility they were going to let her off. So he had gotten a piano wire. Yeah. You know about this, Sam?
2: Yeah, he had it in his fingers. And if, he, if they uh, let her go, um, the Dallas police were going to make sure he got to her.
3: He was going to kill her. He was going to kill her in that courtroom, and he had the piano wire ready to go. Now, this is a man that was willing to spend the rest of his life in jail or maybe even be dead to avenge his daughter. So, I mean, at some point, Grizzlies – and that's the two car rides. Do you believe this guy in the car with him or that guy? Is he a seamstress or a sex offender? Is he a, a, a serial killer that killed his wife and other people on the road, or is he this incredibly distraught father who just lost his daughter? Yeah. And I asked Jake. I said, Jake, how did you get these stories? How did you talk? Who told you about the blood in the trunk? That's not true. And Jake said, My father. My father. He goes, I always believed him. And I said, Jake, why do you think he lied to you? Do you think he had something to do with it? And you know what Jake told me? He wanted to protect me. He knew that I could probably have a career. He didn't want me worrying about this, and he didn't want me thinking my sister could possibly still be out there. And he said, so I think my father told me these gory details so that I would uh, think that there was no possibility, you know, so I could move on with my life. Yeah. He goes, until you just called me, I never thought of that possibility. And he goes, I never looked into the case because I didn't want to know how gory it was. I says, Jake, there's a possibility she made it. And cool. that's when he just lost it. Dang. This guy that I watched slam giants, this family that I watched beat the piss out of people in the ring, Sam Houston, win world titles, um, you know, a father that was beyond approach is now on the phone with me, and he's not Jake Roberts anymore. Yeah. He's a guy who lost his sister, and that's tough to deal with, guys. It's very difficult.
0: So, what's the last bit of information, Jim, that you've found on Joe Lynn? Most God,
3: I would love to fire this up and do this again. The last bit of information is I got a call after I did a radio show, some wrestling radio show uh, a couple of years ago. I got a call by that television show and Sam was on it. Sam did a phenomenal job. You, you know what? You know what irritates me about Sam? Let me put Sam over here real quick. Huh. If I could have been Sam's manager in the wrestling days, you know what? Sam should have. Sam would have been cut out for the movies. He should have been a cowboy in the movies. Yep. He could have been in Clint Eastwood movies. But see, back then they didn't want to break kayfabe. And that was another thing with a real uh, with uh, his father, Grizzly Smith. His father didn't want to get in trouble or be on the witness stand or do anything in the trial because they would have asked him his real name. They could have got him on the stand in that case and said his wrestling predetermined, they could have destroyed his career in the business. Yeah. he was protecting the business his family his children and still grieving for his daughter imagine the pressure of that on uh, by the way still hoping to run a territory and keeping his career alive and hiding the fact that he was molesting young children that is a shitload of stuff to deal with in a guy that was really calm on the outside if you dealt with him, um but sam did that interview sam what was the name of that documentary series you were on about wrestling
2: oh dark side of the ring
3: they had heard an interview of me and they called me and at this time, nobody believed the story. I had all this information and facts. I couldn't get the cops. I tracked down some of the – I tracked down the cops that grabbed the baby. Uh, Sam Houston's nephew that's now currently in jail, the little baby that she left behind in that trailer. Wow, wow. I talked and found the cop. He's in there. I gave it to the docket. So the documentary series people came to me, and I said, listen – you got to get Sam, you got to get Jake and you got to get the sister and you got to do this story before any more of these people disappear before Sam's gone or Jake's gone or I'm gone. You got to get it before the cops are gone. And they said, well, we can only do eight to 11 minutes on her disappearance. The rest has got to be about how monstrous Grizzly Smith was. And I did tons of interviews about how he did good things and the people, oh. the children that he and they wouldn't put that on the show. Yeah, and so that's, know, what, that's what kicked this back up again, and that's what you saw on the program.
2: Yeah. Uh, real quick on that, you know, I told you as in tornadoes and stuff like that. You know, people say my dad was a monster. Okay, he had his problems. I've been locked up with those people, too. You know, so I've, I can see things from a different point of view as well. Uh, but, you know, but he was also there in times of need, you know, in uh, December 10th. 1978, we had just got home from uh, South Louisiana into Bossier City and a tornado hit our house. We had the only house standing on the block. It took our roof, spun it around and put the curtains over the walls and hanging on the outside. It was wild. But uh, two little girls at the end of the block, the Carringtons, the car had rolled on top of a brick wall and was on top of them. My high school buddy, Wayne Griffin, as soon as it hit, an axe fell off of the wall. and hit me in the head. And then a bicycle came through my window. I jumped up and Wayne was hammering on the back wall and telling me a tornado just hit. And uh, please help because uh, a Jeep was on top of his brother. Mm. So I'm running down the road and Mr. Currington at the end of the road, he's in there. He's crying. He's sobbing. Uh, it It was... Uh, Car. He was trying to pick up a car that was on top of a brick wall that was on top of his two little daughters. There was only room for one person to be able to get in there. I got in there, but I tried, I tried, and I tried. I couldn't pick nothing up. You know, and you hear the screams and stuff. (laughs) You know, and I seen, uh, I seen that Superman walking down the street and I hollered, and it took my dad three times to bullet all the car off of those two girls. The girls were still alive when they pulled them out, and they laid on the grass in the front yard. They couldn't get emergency services. and died of shock hours later. But, you know, he did a lot of bad. He He did a lot of good, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and It's hard for me, you know, because, like I said, I wasn't exposed to all the bad stuff.
0: And you've you had to, you've had to hear all this later in life,
2: you know, and yeah, and, you and process it, it. Yeah, it's awful hard.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine having to process but, uh, all that.
2: Yeah, um, but I I just you know, uh, if my sister's out there, I just want to extend a hand. say i love
0: you well sam we certainly put this out there and hopefully maybe find some answers for you man
1: yeah that'd be great
0: all
2: right thank you hey i want to go right now Uh, um yeah y'all keep going with jim jim i want it all out there like like i told you when this thing started i want you to shoot with it you
3: know Sam, Sam, you were instrumental in this. I just wish we would have had you for Sam. If I would have had this case the year prior, I think we could have solved it. They just, you know, life moves on. And, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, I always like to hear Sam talk about his career and wrestling and the things he's still doing. He's got an album. He's got this. He's Sam has got so many businesses. He's did the real estate thing. He's got first of all, the, the guys, the thing that would help this more than anything is there has got to be a producer out there. There has, and that's why that this is the most interesting missing persons case I've ever worked on. Even if the family wasn't famous, even if the family wasn't involved in WrestleMania or world champions in their sport, or had a lineage of professional wrestling, you've got every aspect of this that you could possibly imagine. There has got to be a producer. There has got to be a screenwriter out there that could sit down with this family, with rock and Robin, with Sam I mean, and by the way, pay him a boatload of money for the story. We all get what's out there and and maybe put this thing to full circle because I can't do it alone. There's, you know, it's just been too many years. I mean, it's as cold of a cold case as you could imagine. But the only, you know, the the only thing that could happen is to get it out there. Unfortunately, when I go on wrestling shows – and they don't want to hear too much about true crime and Lynn Smith. They want to hear, okay, his sister went missing. all right. now let's talk about WrestleMania thirteen. Right. or if I go on a uh, <clears throat> true crime show, they don't give a shit about wrestling. so it's a it's a very tough sell, and I thought there would be way more press. but I promised Rocket Robin. And even sam and his brother not so much jake jake and i only had two conversations and god i I could write a story just on those and then diamond dallas page called me and i'm still looking to whoop his ass uh but and that's another whole story but I, i you know i promised the family that i would not use their name to get press yeah and if you look at my career as a private investigator i get a shitload of press i'm very good at it i never did that with this case with the exception of one interview to get it documented And then that's when the dark side of the ring came and then got everybody back there. But they only spent eight minutes out of an hour talking about this woman. I wish they would have done the whole hour and then did another. It could be a three disc set. Yeah, they
2: should have done a a several episode set, I think. Yes.
3: But I didn't mean to make you upset, Sam. Now you're breaking my heart. No,
2: no, no. You didn't upset me at all. I mean, you know, these are things I've got to face. If I want to grow stronger, I've got to overcome. Exactly. Yeah and i know that that i did no wrong and i know that i had no part in, in anything i I didn't hurt anybody you know i just wasn't aware i was too naive um you know I, and things changed after after i found out i became yeah. more watchful but i became more watchful because i didn't if this is true i don't want my father spending the rest of the his life in prison, so I'm gonna watch him and make sure he can't harm anyone else. Yeah, right. I had a conversation with him one time. I was loaded, I was drunk. I was, you know, you gotta remember for a long time, I was drinking three-fifths a day every day. You know, I could gargle with Jack Daniels and hold it down. I was a good alcoholic, you know. (laughs) So anyway, but, uh, you know, I told my dad one night, I said, if you ever touch my children, I said I'd have to kill you. But anyway, hey, guys, I'm going to cut you all loose right now, and I want to do some more, okay? Well, Sam, right, we,
0: we certainly appreciate you being on here, bud, and we'll get
1: this out, and I'll send you a link when it drops.
2: Yes, yeah, okay, Sam, I love you, buddy, you. and,
1: uh, and uh, I'll see you soon.
2: Okay, yeah, and uh, Jim, I'll talk to you soon.
3: Yes, sir, anytime you call me, I'll work on those tapes. We'll get something done.
2: Okay, thanks. I got some news for you. All I'm, right. My wife, Kim.
3: Thank you, Dale.
1: Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, Kim. I appreciate you hooking this up.
3: we'll talk to you later.
1: All right, see ya. All right, Jim. We
0: appreciate you being on here too, bud. Man, hey, you... listen,
3: I want a couple of super chats. I made Sam Houston cry. Yeah, how many yeah. people do that?
1: Exactly, man. You, man,
0: you ever have did.
3: King Kong Bundy cry on the
1: show. Wow, man, guys,
3: you... it is it is such a difficult story, and I started realizing, and I, I'm and I didn't want to be long-winded, but I knew Sam had not heard a lot of that. And if he had, he was not sober at the time. Yeah. And I think it. I don't think he knew a lot of that shit, the good or the bad. Right. So you guys actually created an avenue for me to tell him that because when I speak with Sam off air, it's oh that's great. Hey, listen, yeah. let me tell you about these action figures. Let me tell you about this match I got coming up against Abdullah the Butcher. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, well, we could, you know, th- you know, it's it's very very difficult. And and listen, I hope I didn't monopolize too much of your time, but no. I figured the true crime part you wanted to get out. No, there.
1: dude, you're fucking gold.
3: Guys, I would love to get this out there because nobody's covered it. Because everybody that's covered it has been I, – I went on one show, and it was two guys and I think Marty Janetti. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: and, and, and they had me on the show, and they wanted to talk about wrestling. They didn't want to talk about the true crime aspect of it. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, it, it, my interviews with him were beyond bizarre. Jake was always looking to make a dollar out of this. Right. right. By the way, I think when I did Dark Side of the Ring, they pumped me for all the information – 90% of the story and the characters came from me. I got a mention at the end of the show. I believe if I heard correctly, Jake Roberts got 10 G's for that. and Robin got six grand. Sam Houston got 4,500. I didn't even get a fucking t-shirt. I just wanted to be on camera. In my, and they go, oh, we're going to put you in the credits. And what happened was at the credits, they made the screen real small. And you need a microscope to see my fucking name.
1: Well, God.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, Jim, we'll get this this put together and drop it out Monday, and I will send you a link and get it going.
1: But if you want to come back sometime and we want to do the damn story of Grizzly Smith, we'll do it.
3: Yeah, anytime you need anything about this, or if you need me to run a license plate, a background check for your program, just give me a call. I'll do it. Anything you need for any other case, you let me know.
1: Man, you are gold. You are.
3: Thank Uh, you, guys. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Dale.
0: I know it was a long show, but it had to be done. Wow, I mean, it had to be done because there's so much information, and Jim packed so much information in there about uh, Grizzly Smith and Jolien Smith Rogers,
1: uh, Valian Rogers. I mean, yeah, good lord. There's so
0: many parts and pieces, and so many characters, and it in just this keeps
1: story. going on and on and on. And
0: it's unsolved. Really?
1: I want to give a quick shout out, man. Uh, Jim Terry, <laughs> you have done your homework, sir. Yep. You at uh, Gulf Coast Investigations. And uh, I want to give out his number. It's 813 993 2242. If anybody needs a PI that does his work and don't mess around, <laughs> give him a call. He'd be glad to help you out. Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, it just kept on and on. I mean, this, this show was full of everything. It was an emotional roller coaster. Uh, none like we've ever done before. I know. And uh I think I had about four words in the whole show, and they're like, wow, yeah. <laughs> wow, because it was just bomb after bomb after bomb. I know. Amazing.
0: Well, it had to be done.
1: Yeah, I know, and I'm sure we hit a, a couple nerves with Sam and a lot of stuff he knew, some of this stuff he didn't know. But, you know, this was a good uh, alleyway in between the two guys. to you know to, Well, here it is, and, you know, when he said, go ahead and shoot and let it roll, Jim shot and let it, let it roll. Yeah, he didn't hold back. Right, so yep. it was a... Wow. (laughs) Yeah, wow.
0: All right, Dale. We're going to get out of here, bud. Let's get out of here. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and
1: always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.